Scott, you good? You can hear us? Um, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Um, yeah, if you could just uh, we'll scream. let me know whenever we are recording. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we'll, 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 do that. we'll do that. We're pressing record now, Scott. <laughs> boop, boop, beep. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we're getting started, guys. Okay, everybody, welcome to our next episode of Fly on the Wall. We have a lot of people in the room here, this so uh, so we're not going to intro the guests. Instead, it's going to be a little bit of a surprise, and everyone's going to go around the room, and they're all going to say, like, who they are, uh, why they're here, um, their connection to Georgetown in any way, if at all. Um, all big <laughs> questions we need answered here at Fly on the Wall. Um, so do you want to get started? Me. Yeah, Me. go for it. Hi. Um... Hey everyone, uh, I am Helen Brosnan. I actually graduated here um, in 2016 from the college uh, with a government major, unsurprisingly, and a <laughs> justice and peace studies minor. Um, yeah, so I am Hoya, and um, since then, I right after I graduated, I went to work on the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign, um, RIP, uh, and then I was an organizer for the Women's March uh, for a little while, and uh, recently started my own uh, company a little while ago. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, cool. My name is Jack Welty. Um, <clears throat> I graduated, uh, like Helen, uh, in 2016. Um, I, uh, at Georgetown, was in the School of Foreign Service, graduated with a degree in International Economics, um, spent a decent amount of time working on the Hill, um, and for a, uh, a polling firm briefly, um, I was on the inaugural, uh, student advisory board here at GU Politics, Respect. uh, like, like Helen and Scott. So, uh, I have seen this organization grow from a very small group of people to a very impressive institution, uh, a- after we left. Um, that has podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's got a podcast. It's going places. Um, <laughs> and uh, now I work uh, sort of in tech and social media. Awesome. Scott, you want to tell us who you are? Yeah, I would love to. So, <laughs> Scott born and raised in Iowa, alongside corn stocks, soybean stocks, as well as the <laughs> presidential contenders. Um, <laughs> First in the nation, shout out there. Um, so, love Iowa still to this day, but obviously Georgetown brought me to D.C. And then, like Helen, went up with her to Brooklyn and worked on um, the Clinton campaign in the digital department. Shout out digital ads. Um, <laughs> and then, after that, went home for a bit. And then, starting January of this year, came out to San Francisco and I'm doing brand marketing at Google um, on the brand editorial and activation marketing team. So that's a little bit about me, why I'm on this podcast. I really have no clue. Um, <laughs> I guess this you probably would be. Um, was on the inaugural student advisory board with Jack and Helen, as I mentioned. Um, and then also was on Patrick Dillon's student strategy team, which was a total blast. Um, and yeah, really excited to be here. Looking forward to talking with you all. Awesome. So in case you haven't gotten the gist of what we're going for here, uh, this is our very first alumni pod, where we're going to bring back uh, some of the best that have walked the halls of GU politics to uh, talk, well, I know, it's a tall, it's a big uh, Yeah. Uh, but but we, we want to bring them back and, uh, you know, talk to them about 
you know, what's life like after graduation? You know, how are they still engaging in the sort of things that we're still here studying uh, and what it's like to be on that other side? So we thank you all for, for joining us, especially Scott calling in. Uh, we're trying out our, our very first attempt at new age phone uh, interviews. <laughs> So Scott, Did you say already... new age phones? Well, like that was like a brand new technology. Okay, so we tried a, we tried a phone interview before. It didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. So we're trying it with our new equipment. So thank you, Scott, for being the guinea pig on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure my audio quality will be really great on my phones right now. Um, we hope. So sorry that this was entirely my fault. Suggesting the date, having to be there, and then not being able to make it. So, so that's the backstory on that one. Like that, but thanks for working with it. Of course, happy to. <laughs> okay, so uh, to get into this podcast, you guys are a year out of Georgetown, Georgetown life, the quote-unquote Georgetown bubble, um, and we want to know, you know, what it's like, you know, uh, you guys, you know, were in your first year of geopolitics, you learned a lot, um, hopefully, I guess, um, you know, you took a lot of experiences out of that, and you've, you know, it's informed a lot of what you've done uh, outside of campus, so talk to us a little bit about what that transition was like, you know, going from the hilltop to... Uh, the real world, uh, quote unquote, the place where you have to like cook your own food and stuff. <laughs> oh, we've tried that. It is not going so well for us right now this summer. Um, I, I think Georgetown prepared me pretty well for the quote unquote real life. Um, I live in New York City now, which is obviously uh, a little bit different, um, but still live with two of my best friends from Georgetown, which is great. Um, we graduated right in the middle of, you know, <laughs> one of the most uh, hotly contested elections in recent memory, and obviously Scott and Helen played a role in that election, so it's not like our, uh, the focus or obsession on politics that I think the three of us have really has changed since <laughs> graduating. Um, I got to go to a, a geopolitics event in uh, Manhattan a few months ago, so that was great. Um, yeah, real life's not... not terribly different no yeah. it's not yeah it's not, it's not too different like jack said still a bunch of nerds uh just don't have mo and hannah and all them encouraging it as much um, <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i think um obviously they both mentioned we were on the inaugural student advisory board um and a lot's changed since then you guys are doing actual amazing things um and you know but i think when we were on it it prepared me for the real world in the sense of you know um you're, you, this sounds cheesy, but like you have a bright future and it's, you know, it's okay to kind of look up to these people in a real way. I think a lot of the times when you have people like Jen Psaki and Marlon Marshall and even Grover Norquist, you know, coming through, that feels like a lofty goal. And I think geopolitics always made it feel like that's possible and you should think about it, you know, as a possibility and, you know, take a step every day to kind of engage yourself seriously in politics and, you know, make a meaningful career out of it, which is, I'm very grateful for. Um, but yeah, real life is weird. Um, I cook a little, but it's not always great. So, <laughs> Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> um, so a question for all three of you that I really want to know. Talk to us about that first moment. That first moment you guys knew you were actual like adults, uh, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> on your own. <laughs> well, on your own in the real world. Um, and, you know, the bubble of college wasn't going to necessarily save We'll you. start with Scott on that one. Hey, thank you. Um, so, Do you feel like Martin O'Malley over there, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> Not getting enough airtime? For sure, sure have no clue um, that I would consider myself an adult. Um, <laughs> I think since college, the only thing that truly 
increase, like, it's probably French fry consumption. Um, <laughs> nice. and I ate a ridiculous amount of, like, Shake Shack. Shout out National French Fry Day. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm um, just keeping it real, trying to go behind the scenes <laughs> flavor of the life. Uh, but we'll in general, um, I forgot the question. What do you? What were you asking? The first moment you realized you were just like up the creek without a paddle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got to start thinking about French fries. Yeah, That's great. <laughs> That's also concerning. Um, 
millennial and now adults. We have an honor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it sounds pretty college to me. It doesn't sound like real adult world. No, we're just, it's all fake. Yeah. We're, all, we're just pretending, really. Great. Uh, and switching gears a little bit, um, but staying on that theme of being absolutely terrified. Um, there's a lot of us, uh, that are starting to look for jobs and starting to consider, you know, what we're going to do. Uh, you know, we are two years out, so we're not quite feeling the pressure yet, but you know, there's a lot of people that are at this point in their lives. So tell us about your personal, um, search for a career, search for fulfillment. Uh, and you know, did fulfillment, you have, wow. fulfillment, a vocation. I found it. Yeah, I found it already. Yeah. <laughs> One year out, figured we're it there. out, we're done. Three years old. Yeah. Well, I guess the question sort of stems from you know, did you go into college, you know, with this goal career and uh, you know, stuck to that path, or did it sort of change? You senior year, you sort of put it together, or after graduation, you put it together. So, like, how did you? How did you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, um, and Scott uh, probably will agree with me on this. I think. I knew I wanted to, actually, ever since I was little, I was like, Hillary Clinton will be our first female president, and I will work for her. I'm not sure how, but that's my plan. And really, I'd been saying that for, or thinking that, well, because it would have been really weird to say it out loud for four years, um, but I was <laughs> thinking that for four years, just thinking like, wow, this incredible woman, I hope she runs, and I, I volunteer for her, I'd intern for her, whatever. Um, so I think you know, knowing that I wanted to work on a campaign um, was a, a really lofty goal because, as Scott knows, it's just hard to permeate that. Um, and then also, yeah. you know, it's just uncertain. And they're like, hey, don't worry about it. You're like, okay, uh, I'm graduating in May, and it's actually May 1st. So, <laughs> and so there's really it's just, you know, it's a weird timeline of hiring, and everything's kind of, again, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think that was difficult. Um, but you know, the best lesson I learned from that was, like, it's okay to be uncertain and not be the kid that has the answer in November or December and have something kind of in the traditional path lined up. And I think, you know, the three or four months of, like, not being able to answer that question is obviously worth this experience. Um, and, you know, I also think there's a lesson of persistency, too, and bugging the crap out of people. Like, there were so many people by the time... I got to Brooklyn, they were like, oh my god, you're the girl that emailed me 38 times. Like, this is so, like, I, there was a lot of reconciling I had to do to be like, hey, super sorry about that, this was my dream job, so I'm really sorry that I stopped you on various social media platforms. Um, no idea what that's like. No. So, so, yeah, I'm sure. What? Never done that. And listen, hey, I'm serious, don't be embarrassed about it, like, that was, I, was I, I learned that that was actually a common experience among many people, so um, it was kind of comforting that that was just among fellow psychopaths um so that was that was a yeah, good, good lesson to learn yeah that, no that was actually after the campaign yes <laughs> please call security <laughs> so so at what time did you officially sign on for the campaign i think that's helpful because we're coming out in a presidential cycle year two when we graduate yes, yeah. uh, for the primary so you know, trump re-election yeah right <laughs> so when uh so when uh what what time what does the hiring time look like for that scott you were scott was like literally right after graduation right mm -hmm. scott uh yeah i did start immediately after graduation um i let's see would have figured out that i was doing that sometime in april so literally like a month before <laughs> it's that and that was kind of like Congressional or presidential or whatever, 
it was like weeks before they find out and then literally move um, across the country. And yeah, kind of to echo what Helen said, like I would just, anyone that's looking to do a political campaign or anything kind of political, I would, you know, super get comfortable with not having a job offer until either right before graduation or long after graduation, to be quite honest. Um, and that's hard, right, at a place like Georgetown where, like, consulting finance, investment banking type people, all of their offers, you know, either when they're coming back from the summer or else, like, fall of senior year. And that's a lot of time to go and, you know, questions, should I be recruiting, should I do something more? But you really just have to trust that, you know, that's, like, the industry, the political campaign world, and um, their schedules are just so different that it's okay to be different, and if that's what you want to do, then that is okay, but you do not have a job when you're sitting on Healy Lawn waiting to graduate. <laughs> Jack, any advice for uh, yeah, fellow I mean, boys? I, I would just encourage people, like, spend your senior year, like, apply early and often to lots of places. Job interviews never hurt. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough to get job offers and decide you want to wait it out or you want to join a campaign or want to try something else, like, you can always turn those down. Um, and sometimes it feels a little productive just to be sort of exploring other options. Um, I work at a tech company. I didn't accept my job until, uh, March ish, which is, you know, early compared to Scott and Helen, but compared to the vast majority of my peers at Georgetown felt very late and very scary. Um, because again, there are so many folks that are, are locked up pretty early on. Um, and I going into senior year, didn't even know that, uh, you know, the job I'm doing or the, the company I'm doing it for even existed. Right. Uh, and it was only through a Georgetown connection that, that I found that. So keep an open mind. I'm in a totally different area than I ever thought I would have been uh, as an incoming freshman in the school foreign service. Um, but, but having a blast doing it. So, yeah, keep an open mind and just talk to people, explore your options. And I would just say, I'll speak on behalf of the three of us, back to the eagerness point. Like, I think... That was something that all of the student advisory board kind of had in common that I think feels awkward or, you know, kind of like, I think other people frown on it, like being, and I hate the word networking, but I, I think it was just like, we were really eager to meet people and really excited, I'm sure as you guys are, right. and everyone at Politics is, and, and really, you know, be in the same room as these people, it felt like a waste to not say, hey, you're an idol of mine, or like, can I ask you a question? And I think, again, like, sometimes that might, you know, be just scary for people or again like looked as kind of lame or whatever you want to describe it as but I know the three of us always had that in common we're like whatever like I, you know I, I might as well and I think you know I would just say that like embrace it now also you kind of get the cool blanket of being a student where you get to be like haha I'm a student um at Georgetown can I meet you like that that grows old really quickly so you know use that for your, the four years you're here and you know, again, I, it's not even networking. It's really just kind of expanding your horizons and answering a lot of questions for yourself through the wisdom of other people. And, and people love talking about what they yeah, do. Yeah. I don't think we ever oh recognize anyone. If someone is willing to come to geopolitics or be involved with us in any way, like they're going to be willing to right. talk to you um, afterwards or over email yeah. or over the phone about, you know, the nitty gritty of their job and their story and how they mm -hmm. got there and stuff. That's They wouldn't be involved with us if they, if they didn't want right. to do that. There you have it, people. Don't freak out. Yes. <laughs> Go to talk to They're real send people. a lot of emails and a lot of exclamation points. Yeah. Just to, to pivot a little bit, uh, to talk about specifically the jobs you've landed into and how they um, intersect with politics, I want to start with Helen on this one because I know you've just started a new venture 
uh, that coincides well with politics and public service. You want to tell us a little bit about how you remain engaged in that political realm? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, love the shameless plug. Need all the, <laughs> need all the promotion Give I us can the bitch, get. Yeah. Um, and no, uh, yeah. So I, um, I was actually so I was doing some work with the Women's March a few months ago, and you know, I think one of the great things that came out of that was momentum of people who were really just coming off the sidelines, um, and you know, like they had never been involved in activism before or any form of just political engagement at all of all ages. Um, so I started thinking about that and, you know, what's the next logical step for people, you know, even like as an organizer, like what's the, you know, up the ladder of engagement, like where do we take these folks who, who have, you know, kind of just are coming into the bloodstream of this work. Um, and a friend of mine and I got together and we both said like, you know, clearly what's happening out there with female politicians and, and female candidates isn't enough. Um, and, you know, what's the problem? And we looked at actually a lot of research and kind of did like tons and tons of focus groups, just more out of curiosity, honestly. Um, and the biggest answer was really, we don't start early enough. Like we, we truly don't socialize women to, to, you know, kind of be involved in politics at all um, at the right age. Uh, so that was one problem. And the second problem was there's a lot of organizations that do this, um, online and are bipartisan and we thought like well you know what we have this progressive movement that really needs an, an electoral space especially for women so we're going to try to work our way into that so anyway so uh we we kind of you know given all that um started an organization called rise to run rise to run.org um and <laughs> at rise to run on twitter uh, i hate this but i know i'm supposed to do it um so so yeah it's, i mean the short is it's a you know movement to um mobilize and train uh young young women young progressive women on the ground uh to enter politics and think about running and we have also have a separate training to actually be a campaign manager so again really getting young girls to think about this early on um, and, and get them a part of the pipeline and get them to think about, you know, uh, think about themselves as community leaders. Makes sense. And, and how about you, Scott? How is, uh, so you, you started to work for Google, right? How, did, how does your work touch, if at all, the political sphere? Sure. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's like, how can those possibly be related? Which is something <laughs> I worried about a lot um, when I was considering, you know, whether to go back to Google. And I kind of had a unique experience in that I'd already interned um, here twice, so I kind of got a feel for what the company was like and whether I'd actually make it fit um, and vice versa. Basically, right now I'm on brand marketing, and so working tell the story of Google and kind of um, our brand narrative. And that obviously translates really well to politics, because when you have um, a politician or a campaign you're working on, like, you're trying to sell the politician's story. And whereas we might be trying to sell, like, products or features of certain products while here, if you translate to that political realm, it's like policy ideas um, or reasons for doing XYZ, whether it's, like, your base supporters, whether to vote, volunteer, um, give money, that sort of thing. And so everyone here pretty much knows that I'm, like, a really big political nerd and stuff. And <laughs> so that's another reason why I love it, because they just let me on it, and it's all good. Um, but, yeah, I've, like, been super open and talked with multiple people about how eventually I envision, for sure, trying to do another campaign at some point and trying to take everything I've learned branding-wise and marketing-wise um, and telling people's stories um, back to the political realm and trying to do the same thing there. That was well spun. 
<laughs> did you, uh, Scott, did you find it weird to go from, you know, uh, the everyday, you know, news of a political campaign to, uh, you know, a company that isn't necessarily politically focused, but a job in which um, you take a lot of the skills? Did, did you find it weird to go from that, like, 24-7 news cycle uh, to, like, you know, a set of ideas that weren't necessarily politically related? Yeah, um, I mean, I'd have to say yes and no. Like, when I got here, uh, like, because I was coming off the Clinton campaign, everyone that has any interest in anything politics always comes to you as, like, the person to, like, vent or talk to or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think I probably get, like, more political talk here than the average um, Googler. Um, in general, I guess, like, day-to-day, work-wise type stuff, especially at the beginning, it was kind of, um, felt in some ways like you're still super involved in politics because there's, you know, the travel ban coming out, um, and just all the protests, like, every single weekend happening and throughout the week, and there are protests literally at Google that were organized, both in Mountain View and San Francisco and kind of offices around the world. Mm. Um, so just individually as an employee and everything, um, you know, in that sense, you got to show the politics that way. But for sure, it's not as much like people aren't on Twitter all day, monitoring um, <laughs> things for how things break. Um, there's less of the day-to-day, like, oh, how is Senator X, you know, voting? Or, like, where are they standing on this bill at this point in time? Um, but that being said, there are some Hawaii for America alumni at the company, and so, you know, whenever there's something that's blowing up in politics, like, we're always seeing each other, like, can you believe this has happened? Like, um, kind of having our own therapy sessions over the <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, there's um, parts of it that, you know, you miss that, like, day-to-day of kind of the political action and everything. Um, but overall, I have to say, among workplaces in general, like, love it. You know, great, great vibe, for sure. Uh, cool. So our next question for you guys is kind of a broad one, uh, maybe a scary one too. <laughs> um, but it's one that I feel like Georgetown students and geopolitics students specifically think about a lot. Um, is you know long term goals. Um, so uh, don't freak out too much when we ask you guys. You know, uh, you know what's one long term goal that you guys hope to accomplish? And I'm also curious if you could work this into your answer. How has that changed since when you entered college versus graduating college versus where you are now? Has that sort of shifted, or do you, are you still on the same trajectory? You know, what does your future look like? Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> Small questions we ask yeah. here. <laughs> real quick, quick simple, hits. easy answer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I... Lightning round. <laughs> I think I am a... Or, as a freshman, I was a fairly typical um, SFS freshman in that um, I was pretty sure that I was going to end up um, in the State Department or some other part of the federal government. Um, and I would say that these days, um, I don't really think that that's exactly where my, um, future lies. Um, I don't know that I have any super concrete, uh, you know, five to ten year goals, but... Get Donald Trump out of office. Perhaps. That's a yeah. four to eight year goal. <laughs> four to eight year goal. <laughs> um, or a one year goal. <laughs> but definitely... The institute institute definitely showed me um, how many more ways um, that politics and public service could be a career outside of just like 
you know, I'm going to work on the Hill or I'm going to go, you know, be a bureaucrat or something. I think I uh, applied once. I was an econ major, so naturally I applied to intern in the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, which I was, like, really bummed I didn't get at the time. But nowadays, (laughs) I just think that that would have been perhaps soul-crushingly boring. Um, And I just think that there's a lot of different ways to to get involved and to feel like um, you're doing something fulfilling that fulfilling for your career, but also something where you're sort of giving back at the same time. Um, so yeah, I guess I've mostly just super broadened from <laughs> when I walked into Georgetown, um, but all kinds of good ideas out there. And it hasn't necessarily narrowed in the year. No, it has really not. Possibilities are still open. It gets worse. No, I'm just kidding. It gets better because you're more open-minded. Actually, on that note, that was kind of what I was going to say is I think, yeah, I came in with a really narrow idea of what I thought it meant to be, you know, good or successful in politics. And I didn't even know what good or successful meant. And I didn't know what politics meant either. So I was really missing the mark. Um, But I think you know, in general, right, and geopolitics played an integral role in that and kind of expanding, you know, the definition for me of what public service looks like. Um, I think long-term goals just really for me, you know, and again, kind of in the context of politics, like learning how to be a better advocate for people and for causes I care about um, and learning what that means kind of, you know, year by year and, and picking up the fights as they come along. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's, my, that's my goal. Scott? Let's see. Uh, no goals. Into college, uh, I would say I for sure always knew I wanted to work on a political campaign. So that was kind of never really up for debate and was actually really helpful in kind of focusing stuff. Even if I got you know, sidetracked along the way. Like one summer I interned at like a biotech company back home and um, you know, just realized like you are not that smart at times. <laughs> you do not do that. Um, at least you learned quickly, so right? Had a lot of random bits like that along the way. Um, now, yeah, I yeah, it's so hard to think long term, kind of what um, for sure I'm going to be doing. But in general, I'm really excited, at least right now, about kind of exploring this idea of just entrepreneurship and how we get people, you know, starting new businesses and literally using them as um, how I think, you know, business in its best shape is kind of meant to be a vehicle for social good and that sort of thing. And I really hate saying that, you know, I'm like interested in entrepreneurship because I feel like that's all the rage these days and like everyone's doing that, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think think there's a lot of uh, potential. I think that um, it can help with, I just finished reading this book, uh, basically argument premise of it being like, oh, like, what if you took even 5% of, um, you know, graduating seniors from colleges and had them starting their own businesses and kind of, uh, communities across America and outside of like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, DC, San Francisco, that type of thing, um, and kind of had them as drivers of economic growth, um, and help to close the gap maybe in, um, either perception or very real gains, um, in growth. And obviously some of them will fail, um, but then some percent of them will succeed and they'll hire, you know, one employee or five employees or, you know, 40 and more if they get more successful. And then that's literally jobs being created. And I think just reminds me a lot of kind of what 
you know, Helen and I, we took um, Church in the 21st Century together with Father O'Brien while we were at Georgetown. Yes. And, you know, we were at Tattoos on the Hearts by Father Boyle and talked about, um, you know, the dignity of a job and the dignity of work. And so I think about that, you know, in terms of entrepreneurship and stuff and, like, you know, what are we doing and what can we do to provide good jobs for people and um, actually build up communities um, across the country and try to slow up, like, brain drain. Um, especially from like places that I'm from, like Iowa. Scott works at Google now, so he has a lot of time to read books. That was what <laughs> you were supposed to take away from that. <laughs> well, and I, I'll just say one final thing on that too that I think you know is only apparent to me now, a year out, um, is to Scott's point about you know kind of having these seemingly unrelated internships or jobs or volunteer opportunities or just random things. I think the tendency, especially at a school like Georgetown, but just in college, is to say, oh, crap, I wasted my time, or, you know, that that made me, you know, now now I won't be with the other people who are on some made-up path and, and things like that. So I think I had a lot of anxiety over that, but what ended up happening is, like, a lot of that work actually is, like, what, what makes you the most interesting out there, frankly, and informs mm-hmm. a lot of other work you do. Like, I was involved in some faith communities, which always fe- felt kind of tangential and random, and... Um, that's actually like been the number one best thing that's happened to me since, you know, graduation. Cause it's just been kind of a weird, you know, part of my life and, and a lot of the organizing I've done and stuff. So that's all to say, like, I think you should feel good about that. I, I had the, a woman I worked for on the campaign always said, she said, I immediately throw out resumes that don't have like, you know, um, uh, like wait, waitressing experience or, you know, working clerical experience or working in a store because it probably means you can't talk to anyone. And I thought that was such an interesting hmm. thing. Like, here we are on the Hillary campaign thinking, you know, we're all that and everyone's on some perfect path. And, you know, in reality, like, you should really, it's okay to have a, a, a range of experiences. And I don't know if Marlon told you guys this, but he was actually a bouncer at one point. So just yeah. keep that in mind. I buy that. <laughs> <laughs> um, a friendly guy, though. So, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Marlon, uh, we've had a lot of various perspectives on this podcast so far. Um, you know, we've had Republican and Democratic operatives. You know, we've had... Uh, Grover Norquist. Uh, Grover. <laughs> He's in his own category. <laughs> um, yeah, he really is. Um, you know, we've had various politicians. He became a Twitter celebrity over yeah, the weekend. Yes. He really did. Yes, yes, yes. Um, wait, wait, wait. Fill me in. What did he do? <laughs> I'm not on Twitter as much as the, these kids. Uh, he got quote-unquote roasted, as people say. What? We'll, we'll come back to it. Okay. <laughs> I'll look it up later. You can show me. <laughs> um, so we've had, you know, different political perspectives, different people who have worked in various parts of politics and public service, um, but we have yet to have the um, eye roll, quote unquote, millennial uh, generation on this podcast outside of uh, Aaron and I, uh, who tend to say the same thing no matter what anyway. We, we, <laughs> we speak the same. <laughs> we have the same thoughts. Uh, so we have a couple topics that we just want you guys to talk through. Uh, whether that be giving your perspective, your analysis, your opinions, uh, you know, you know, different perspectives from people you have talked to specifically, um, uh, you know, a couple of different topics. Aaron, you want to give us the first one? Yeah, I want to start with the first one. And we here, I'm going to preface this by saying we here at geopolitics are pro-partisan. And I have to keep saying that. So I remind yes. myself. But what that means is we don't try to walk the narrow line or we don't try to yeah. get both sides. We We encourage people to, you know speak what they believe and, and to say their beliefs and stand by them and debate them and, and argue them and learn. So that's sort of where I want to start. Um, starting with this latest string of special elections, 
Uh, you guys are Democrats. I mean, we, we, we uh, don't have to shy away from that. Um, <laughs> party person, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to say liberal, progressive, whatever, <laughs> whatever the, the buzzwords are. Um, but but let's start with this this string of special elections and uh, the fact that just Democrats can't get a solid win in 2017. And, and tough take. It's I, well, I mean, it, it's sad, it's sad but true, and it, it it's heartbreaking. So, if for the party moving forward, I mean, there are people calling for Nancy Pelosi to be. Uh, to be kicked out and removed as leader. There's people uh, calling for a new economic message. There's people calling to go full progressive and follow Bernie as the next, you know, um, leader of the party. So, so there, there's a lot of different ways to sort of interpret what's happening with the Democratic Party. I just sort of want to get your take on, you know, what's next for, for the party. Make sense of it all. <laughs> just, yeah. Make yeah. us smarter with Yeah, here's words. the equation that no one's thought of. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn it's right out, here. Right? We've been, we didn't want to tell anyone, but I'm glad we can reveal yeah, it here today. Yeah. It's a secret plan. No one can know it. It's actually Fly called, it's called winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We're scoop. We got national news here. <laughs> uh, I think, listen, I think, you know, going off the 2016, 2017 special elections, um, well, hate hate all the hot takes. Also, by the way, everyone that thinks there's there are a new political pundit. I mean, I take all of my own hot takes for sure. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say it's me on Twitter all day. Actually, I was gonna say don't follow me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah I, have <laughs> I have a medium so I can feel self important. So. <laughs> exactly, and like, listen, I I I love the political dialogue and all that. I, but I think there is some sort of new urge to be almost sanctimonious and and um exclusive in your thoughts, which I think is really bad, and it actually turns a lot of people away from engaging in politics, especially some of the newcomers that I was talking about earlier. Um, I think, well, one, let me just say something also. People calling for Nancy Pelosi to resign and step down should shut their mouth um, because she served us in uh, in her lifetime for her entire life as a public servant, especially, a, you know, a trailblazing woman. So I think people should just reevaluate when they speak like that. Um, and <laughs> second, I think to your point, like the, you know, the kind of the future of the party, I think, and I think a lot of democratic leaders are already doing this, but, um, you know, I think people need to lead with their values. Right. And like, okay, yeah, sure. John Ossoff, you know, lost, but like, you got to say that the guy ran on a really progressive campaign considering where he was. And, and to me, the way I interpret it is he ran on a values-based campaign. It was, I'm, you know, I'm fighting for you and, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for a, a pretty good healthcare plan. I mean, all, all these sorts of things. And I think, that's kind of the direction that we're moving in is people want to say, you know, I, I don't really care if you're a Democrat through and through and things like that, but are you resilient in your values? Are you, you know, what are you not willing to give up, you know, even in kind of the super partisan environment? Um, that's my take on it. Uh, and I think, you know, I think that, that that's just important going forward if people want a level of integrity that we haven't seen before because A, there's more at stake and B, there's less trust in the party. So I think the more and more that people can, and I know it sounds cheesy, but lead with, you know, like even Scott was saying, like, I, I care about dignity for work, and, I, you know, I care about, um, you know, economic security from a really fundamental human level, and, and just talking about issues in a way that we haven't before that aren't just, like, democratic talking points. I think the, th the fact that <clears throat> we're even talking about these special elections, um, yeah. despite the fact that, uh, you know, obviously as Democrats, we're, the three of us are disappointed that we didn't pick up any of those wins. Yeah. Um, the fact that they're in the news, the fact that there's CNN countdown clocks to them, the fact that <laughs> I can... There's CNN cl countdown clock for everything. There is, yeah, that's right. true. Yeah. Um, the the fact that I can come home um, to my apartment, to my two roommates who are Georgetown grads, who are not particularly politically involved or politically motivated, um, 
and and immediately they want to talk about the special election and they want to talk about you know when the uh, polls close and and who's up and who's down. Um, you know, yes, it is disappointing that we lost, but I think we are in a very very unique um, political moment um, because such a massive percentage of the country is so energized um, and thinks that we're living in the middle of a national emergency. Um, and then because um, an even greater percentage of the country is just sort of enthralled um, because it really is a crazy soap opera these days um, and people just can't turn off the TV. Um, like, I always watched a lot of CNN, but now all my friends are watching a lot of CNN and listening to podcasts and watching the Sunday shows and staying super clued in about, you know, negotiations of the, the healthcare debate. Um, and what's going on with Sean Spicer, um, and the, and the White House press briefing room. So I think, you know, yes, we would have liked to pick up those wins, but, um, there is tremendous, tremendous energy out there. I mean, a, a 30 year old who no one had ever heard of, who was running right. for Congress in a district he didn't even live in. And endorsed by John Lewis. Right. <laughs> raised, raised like $8 million yeah. and we all know his name, um, even though he ended up losing. So I think it's going to. I don't think it, the enthusiasm goes down from here. The closer we get to 2018, um, the more perhaps new healthcare legislation starts to affect people, um, and the more you know drip drip we find out about Trump and, and Russia. What do you think, Scott? Where's the uh, where's the party at right now? Make us feel better, like Jack did. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Scott has no thoughts on the party, uh, actually. Yeah, speaks out. Democrats <laughs> not screwed. Honestly, if you, if you quote Ron Klain, you you're usually headlines. just right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a great Twitter Friend of the pod, actually. Friend of the pod. Great Twitter follow. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> he doesn't retweet us every once in a while. Nice. <laughs> so our other question for you guys, and this is a good room to ask it, um, is how do you guys see uh, the intersection of social media and politics? Uh, you know, it's something that um, people have been talking about for quite a while now. Uh, many a geopolitics discussion group has talked about it. Um, and it just seems like an interesting time to be having this conversation uh, because, you know, a lot of these conversations are going on on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. Uh, you know, we have a president where we learn uh, more about what he thinks on Twitter than, you know, in typical news headlines. Um, so, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think the people that are um, that are quick to kind of say oh, slacktivism and people who are, you know, lazy and just kind of speak out online, 
they should think twice about that only because, again, I keep going back to this point, but it's engaged a lot of new people. It's given voices to people who might have not had the mic before, um, which is a great thing, frankly, always. Um, and, you know, that includes a lot more folks of color and younger people who, um, you know, kind of might not have the same voice that they have, again, with social media. Um, but I think, you know, and actually Marlon talked about this when he was, obviously, I've listened to all of the uh, episodes on this podcast, but on Marlon's episode specifically, he was talking about kind of, you know, the 50-state strategy and making sure that we have an organizing infrastructure outside of just campaigns. And so I do worry a little bit, like, with, with the social media obsession that we don't have folks on the ground. Um, but, you know, I, I'm optimistic about that. I just think sometimes it takes takes away from that. You know, that being said, I think there are a lot of people trying to figure out, like, how do we drive people from offline to online action? And there's a lot of new kind of innovative things happening. So, um, you know, I'm here for it. I think it amplifies the, amplifies the voices of a lot of different people. Um, and, you know, the, the negative side of it being it's also isolating and can be an echo chamber, um, you know, but then I, I think that's a challenge to all of us to, to step outside our comfort zones a little bit um, and, and follow some folks who we might not agree with um, and, and engage with them. As a follow-up, I want to ask the Twitter expert in the room, Jack. Uh, yes, Jack. We are starting to move into an era where politicians are starting to communicate directly with their constituents and with potential voters. We have... Uh, obviously, at real Donald Trump likes to talk specifically to his base. And you can also tell there's a number of members of Congress that are also using uh, Twitter handles personally on their own. So I guess the question is, is is that the future? Is that what we're heading towards? Is that engaging people in, quote unquote, the right way? Is that an effective way to use the, the platform? Like, what do we have? What does Twitter have in store for us? Yeah, I, I don't um, I don't think it's going away. Um, I think that pre-election there was plenty of people talking about, you know, the death of Twitter and its stock in decline and whatnot. Um, at real Donald Trump um, <laughs> has has turned it into one of most one of the most essential news sources out there. But it's not just the Donald. Um, you do see lots of more. You know, the average age of members of Congress um, uh, is dropping, and more millennials are becoming members of Congress, or they're running for state rep or state senate, or. They're getting involved in the process, um, and that allows them to um, engage directly with their constituents, um, to elevate the voices of their constituents that might be that might feel a certain way about a certain policy or piece of legislation. Um, I, you know, I specifically think of Jason Kander. Um, right. You know, ten years ago, mm-hmm. uh, a losing Senate candidate who was their state secretary of state. We never would have heard from again, um, but uh, he's got a mad Twitter game, um, <laughs> and he's always tweeting back at the president. Yeah, um, and he's engaging with people, and all of a sudden he's got this massive national profile, and people have him in the the twenty twenty uh, consideration. And I think a lot of that is is based off of his involvement in social media. So I think it's a good thing. Um, I think that both parties um, still have a lot to figure out. Um, the Trump campaign was engaging millions and millions of people on Facebook. Um, and it was hard for, I think, news outlets, um, and other campaigns who weren't in those circles to even get a glimpse at, at how effectively, um, they were speaking to people. Um, I think everyone's got to take a hard look at, at the Facebook algorithm because obviously, um, it it is driving a massive, massive percentage of Americans' news consumption, um, but it is, you know, you mentioned the echo chamber. It's right. just giving people um, the stuff 
that they're already interested in, um, and occasionally contributing to the spread of completely false stories. So, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, I don't think either platform is going anywhere. Um, and I think um, both parties and the, and the news media need to do a lot more work to figure out how they can, uh, you know, either make their own message uh, uh, filter through on those platforms or, or just a, an accurate um, accounting of events, because obviously there was plenty of that out there in 2016. Scott, you have a lot of experience uh, in this field as well. What are your thoughts? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> what a lot of change, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what um, Helen and Jeff said, I think it's really less, I don't want to be the best for it. Yeah, I think, you know, the conversation really should be less about, like, are these things harmful or, you know, did they hurt in the election? Because um, I think the answer is, like, yeah, like, they did make an effect. Like, you know, you can't argue that um, we should like advertise on uh, a certain platform or something and then say that that platform did not affect people's views. Like that those are just two conflicting views. You know, why would I advertise with you if you don't think that it actually has an effect? Uh, I think really the question should be kind of what Jack was just talking about is, you know, okay, like this is recognizing the problem, what's actually being done, what's kind of being looked at and um, to that point, like, I would give many of the companies a lot of credit. Like, they are, you know, getting together and trying to figure out what ways to rectify this and um, have already ended some, you know, quick wins from, I think, the French elections just had a few interesting things um, from, like, fact-checking to crowdsourcing and facts and everything on various platforms. And um, I think that'll be interesting going forward because, yeah, like Jack said, like, this isn't going away, like, it's not reasonable to say that we're not going to have social networking. Like, if you're, it's here to stay, so trying to figure out the best way to make it work in a way that isn't toxic and harmful for democracy. I also think it definitely um, is narrowing that sort of authenticity gap um, yep. that a lot of folks say, uh, point to as a factor in the 2016 election. Um, I know there's a lot, like, it, it does seem as if President Trump uh, authors a lot of his own tweets. Um, pretty darn <laughs> certainly off seems the like cuff. it. <laughs> yeah, or at least with uh, minimal oversight. Um, but that's working for him, and he can completely change the news cycle um, in one seven a.m. tweet storm. Um, and he can move markets, and he can drive news coverage, and he can really get a lot of his message out there. Um, and I think that there are some on the other side that have responded to that and done a good job. I mentioned Jason Kander, um, Chris Murphy, um, Senator Murphy, uh, I know writes a lot of his own tweets, um, or at least has very minimal, you know, one layer of vetting over them, uh, in terms of typos and stuff like that. Um, and I think we're going to see more politicians, um, heading that way or, or at least, you know, reshaping their communications staffs um, to sort of get a message out there that is a little bit more them reacting to things online as if they were one of us and not, you know, putting out stuff that was scheduled a week ago and poll tested a month ago that just doesn't really resonate. Right. Interestingly enough, a really quick side note to Chris Murphy's Twitter. uh, I once heard that what he said was uh, he tweets something, puts it in his drafts, puts it in his pocket, Pulls it out five minutes later, and if he still believes that, and he still thinks that, and he still thinks it looks good, 
That's when he tweets it out. Really hey, smart. Donald Trump, I just have a quick <laughs> tip for you. Uh, Chris Murphy has some thoughts. The draft folder, it you exists. You should maybe check in with him. Yeah. As a as a loyal listener to the pod, at Real Donald Trump, you <laughs> should really, really take our uh, take our advice. He watches Fox and Friends, and then he listens to Fly on the Wall all the time. That's his routine. Scott, Scott do you have a contact there? <laughs> Scott? Hey, Scott? So with that, we have we want to wrap up, but just one last thing. It's tradi- tradition on Fly on the Wall that we have our lightning round. So we're going to go around the room. We have two questions for you. you got to answer in just one or two words. The first, the biggest problem you see today in politics. The second, what's one thing you miss most about Georgetown or college life in general? And I can see Jack is going to need a second to think about it, so let's start <laughs> with that one here. So first one first? Yeah, first one. Biggest problem and what do you miss most? Um, biggest problem is, um... Wait, what was the first question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, Scott interrupted him again. Biggest problem you see in politics today? Uh, Helen, you want to start? We'll go let Helen yeah, go first. Yeah, sure. Well, you um, think it over. I, I know think, you have thoughts. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think there are no problems, actually. Um, no, I, uh, I think lack of willingness, um from all sides, this is more than two words, to uplift um, black women, which oh. is actually the voter base of the Democratic Party, into leadership in our party. Uh, information bubbles. We're all dealing with a different set of facts, and that's not very productive. That was like a subtitle, so yeah. it worked. There you go, yeah. <laughs> two words. Scott. Biggest problem. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest problem you see followed it. Money. All right, there we go. Uh, second question: What's one thing you miss most about Georgetown or college life in general? Um, Wingo's is an acceptable answer. I thought Jack no, was going to say No, I mean, like the awful answer would be yeah. like learning every day and going to class, <laughs> and I do miss that. And I am fortunate enough to be in a job where I learn a lot every day, and that's great. But like a more realistic answer is YC's hot chips. There you go. 
Um, I too am loyal to the hot chick. We'll go with the chicken madness. It's chicken right. madness oh, is the right answer. Hot chick You're is all the wrong. Sandwich. So much better. Um, I really miss uh, procrastinating on something until the last minute. It's really just a <laughs> feeling. It's a feeling I've been longing for. Yeah, because <laughs> I did it for four years straight. <laughs> That's my sarcastic answer. That's all I have. I'm sorry, Scott. Scott. Oh, I knew it. Scott. If you had asked Scott. me 10 seconds ago, I said and Scott's going to say something really nice, like missing all of us. And Jack said the sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> I would actually like to revise my the answer. The runner-up in the Gusto election, may I? You know? <laughs> yeah, I do miss the Gus election cover photos. Actually, I'll, I'll say that. I'm totally oh. also kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, I'd like to revise my answer to say I missed you politics, and I won oh, that there Scott. we go. And that's a fantastic win, Anne. Well, we're so glad we got you all uh, semi in the same room, so shout out Scott for scheduling this date and then not <laughs> not coming but uh, we appreciate you making it work I'm sorry <laughs> and to Jack and thanks so much for Jack coming down Helen uh, coming across town <laughs> to, uh, to meet us here and film this and uh, I think you know we got a lot of insight and a lot of uh, we're calming of the nerves as we enter our junior year and, and prepare for the, the great beyond Thank you guys for having us. Thanks. We're, it's awesome that you politics have a podcast now. We're very proud of the We're studio. super excited. You have couches, a kitchen, and a podcast. So yeah. it's our a work crazy here is world. done. <laughs> <laughs> Things have only gotten better since we left. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were the problem. You were holding us back, so now we can really fly. <laughs> fly? On the, on the wall. wall. Oh. <laughs> on that note, follow us at Fly on the Wall at Fly on the Wall Pod, both on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, maybe we'll launch a Snapchat too, but that's uh, I think Jack's <laughs> eyes rolled directly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about it. But good catch. Uh, and also, uh, we Facebook Live a bit of this. So if you want to watch that, check that out, or should just email Fly. Uh, G- what is it? Fly on the Wall Podcast at gmail dot com. Also, peep our new website politics.georgetown.edu forward slash forward slash fly on the wall pod cast is that all no just pod really yeah 100% I think that's all you'll get there Uh, thanks so much for listening guys hope you were uh, taking notes uh, (laughs) learning from our resident experts Um, and we hope to see you in the next couple of weeks whenever our next episode comes out because it's summer and you know what I'm not on a schedule we do it as (laughs) we actually are on a schedule no not at all sorry about that (laughs) see you guys (laughs)